Revelation 3.19 ended before we took our break with the words, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Oh, let's be zealous and repent of every distraction, every sin that has kept us from loving the Lord Jesus Christ as we should have. This is the response to avoid His spewing or His chastening. Zeal is the opposite of being lukewarm. It's red-hot fervency. It's not an option. It's a commandment for us. Repentance can clear all your lukewarm guilt from before. Just repent. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins of any sort, of any type, of any number. He will forgive if you'll just confess them and sincerely turn from them and repent from them. It can clear the bad conduct listed, which you're going to hear and you're going to know and you're going to feel when you stand in His presence if you do not make a relationship with His Son the most important thing in your life. This was an apostolic church started by the apostles and their immediate successors that they ordained. And yet in just a few years, the Lord Jesus Himself would address them that harshly because they had lost their first love in the case of Ephesus and they were lukewarm in the case of Laodicea. So now we come to the 20th verse, the best verse of the passage. Right now with the conviction the Lord's put on me, the best verse out of 31,101 in the whole Bible. Let's look at it. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice or hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. One of the most glorious verses in the whole Bible. Without a doubt. It's been corrupted horribly by Arminian decisionalists. Many of us have heard this verse touted and used a thousand or a million times in our lives. They don't have any knowledge of it or how to use it. This is not a salvation text. This is not a verse to use with men in a jail ministry. This verse is written to a church of the Lord Jesus Christ where they were a body of elect, justified, regenerated believers that had lost their personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that were self-justified, self-sufficient, and didn't think they needed a Savior in a personal walk with them like we just sang. It makes me sick what they have done to this poor verse. It has absolutely nothing to do with gaining eternal life. It has everything to do with believers enhancing their fellowship with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The Lord has had some dealings with me in the last month. A Tuesday, September 10th, was the best day of my life. I could only think brand new thoughts about this great text. This text became incredibly important to me. I have presented it to the Lord so many times in the early parts of September. I have prayed it the way I'm going to teach you how to pray it. And the Lord hears, and the Lord does come in through open doors and will sup with us. I entirely forgot that I had preached this text to this church nine years ago in September of 2004 because it was all fresh and new to me. Never even consulted the outline. Didn't need to because he was speaking to me freshly from it. And I want it to be fresh and new to you. We have put most of our focus in the past, much of our focus in the past when we think about Revelation 3.20, to reject the Arminian corruption of the verse. It is not a piece of candy to have to, to offer to the unsaved. It is not a verse to get anyone saved in the sense of that they use it. It's not a verse to get anyone born again. It's a verse to the saved that they will not be content with their lives, but seek for a more personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Those who think they are rich, those who think they have need of nothing, 
that they will realize they are wretched, naked, poor, miserable, and blind, and they will look for a closer relationship with Jesus Christ. This verse is all about fellowship, not salvation. It's about being closer to Christ, not gaining heaven. It's about communion and fellowship, not regeneration or being born again. Let's put our focus on the precious offer of Jesus Christ that is in this verse. I stand. My voice. I will come in. I will sup with him. He may sup with me. Let's look at the word behold with me. Behold. It's an interjection. It's an imperative verb telling us to look or to consider something. Behold. It occurs 1,275 times in the Bible. This was very interesting to me as I was studying this sermon for you. I think we should pay attention to the Bible when the Lord says, Behold, 1,275 times. It occurs seven times to the seven churches, just this once to Laodicea. Jesus Christ wants your attention, your attention, for an incredible offer. Incredible offer. The greatest offer found in the Bible that's conditional upon you hearing His voice and opening the door. When the Son of God says to look or to consider something by the word behold, we should do it. And the word behold means to look and to consider something. Is there a most important word in Revelation 3.20? Is it any? Is it man? Is it sup? Is it door? Is it knock? Is it I? Did the disciples ever get to hear those words? In a storm, in the upper room, it is I. Oh, what wonderful words. The Lord Jesus Christ identifying Himself personally for us. I. Who is the one speaking? It is the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. What, what terms or what name do you want to give Him to exalt yourself in this verse and to see how glorious this verse is by who is speaking? It's in the red writing in your red letter edition Bibles. What color and why? Because it's the Lord Jesus Christ speaking personally. It's not John speaking. It's not Paul speaking. It's Jesus Christ speaking. You read about Him, I hope, in Revelation chapter 1, verses 10 through 18, where it describes Him. You can read about Him in chapter 19, verses 11 through 16, that describes Him again on His white horse, the captain of our salvation, the prince of the kings of the earth, the blessed and only potentate of the universe, dripping with the blood of His enemies, that King, that Lord, that Savior, that Son of God speaks, I. Lest you forget His appearance, I want you to know something about the letters to the seven churches. Every letter, seven letters to seven churches, I showed you where they were located. They were in western Turkey or Asia Minor of the Roman Empire. Every letter has the words, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Every letter has, to him that overcometh will I grant. And if you want to read seven blessings that are fantastic in the Bible, go find the seven, to him that overcometh will I grant. Unbelievable offers from the King of Heaven. Then, seven times opening to the church, at Laodicea, to the church at Smyrna, to the church at Philadelphia, to Sardis. He that. And there is part of the description of the glory of Jesus Christ from Revelation chapter 1 pulled forward to each one of those churches. A different aspect of the view that you were given Him in chapter 1 is pulled forward to each church. To this church is, I am the Amen, the faithful and true witness of God the beginning of the creation of God. It's pulled forward for you not to forget who you're dealing with in these seven letters to the seven churches. There there are the verses, and it's a wonderful way of looking through the second and third chapter of Revelation. This is no hippie or hermaphrodite looking like John Lennon. That is not the Jesus Christ of the Bible. That is not the Jesus Christ I preach. That is not Jesus the Son of God. This is a devil-inspired Roman Catholic caricature of Jesus Christ. 
Revelation 1 tells us what he looks like. Revelation 19 tells us what he looks like. Revelation 2 and 3 in the introductions to each of the seven church letters tells us what he looks like. This is not what he looks like at all. This effeminate, hermaphrodite, John Lennon, Charlie Manson lookalike is not the Lord Jesus Christ of glory. The Lord Jesus Christ of glory has eyes as a flame of fire. His face and her hair are as white as snow. He is not some Anglo-Saxon. He is the Son of God. His feet are like burning brass. He has a golden girdle on. There is a two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. The sound of his voice is as the sound of many waters. He opens and no man shuts. He shuts and no man opens. Chapter 3 and verse 7. He has the keys of hell and of death. He has the keys of David. He is the root of David. He's the offspring of David. He is nothing like this. This is to destroy your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. This picture. You should despise it. It should never be anywhere in your possessions or in your house. We've had to look at it because the Roman Catholics have pushed it on everyone and every Baptist church that has it in its Bibles, in its Behind its baptistry, anywhere, it has this ridiculous picture. They have bowed and dropped their knee to the image of Baal and kissed his image. They are Roman Catholics. This is not the Lord Jesus Christ. Why do they have a door and why do they have him knocking? Did they take their inspiration for this picture of Jesus Christ from Revelation 3.20? They, They took their inspiration from Revelation 3.20 because they have him knocking at a door. But this is not what he looks like, which is what my brother meant. But to get to Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20 and have him knocking at a door, what do you have to read to get to Revelation chapter 3? Do you have to read Revelation 1? Do you have to read Revelation 2? Do you have to read Revelation 3? Is the church of Laodicea the last of the seven churches addressed? How would they come up with this picture? By the inspiration of the devil himself. The devil knows that for a man to have long hair, it is a shame to him. This is a shameful picture. The the devil knows that effeminacy is is a sin that should be thrown out of the New Testament church. And to show this effeminate person here, this she man, I, I'm dealing with the word I, behold, I, this is not him. This is not who you want in your hearts. I don't want to go to heaven if this is the Savior. I don't want to go to heaven if this is the Son of God. I don't want to go to heaven if this is Jesus. This is not Jesus, the Son of God, or the Savior. He is a glorified King of kings and Lord of lords. He doesn't look anything like this. He never looked anything like this, even in His humility on earth. There's another Jesus in the world. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 3 and 4. There's another Jesus, there's another gospel, there's another spirit. This is not the Jesus of the Bible. Look at that effeminate caricature. Why do churches have it all over? Even Baptist churches. Not many Baptist churches have that one. Oh, how sweet. That thing right there couldn't drive money changers out of a temple if we did it for him. He couldn't fight his way out of a wet paper bag, let alone take on the devil and his angels and destroy them and cast them out of heaven and make the place fit for us. We're dealing with the word I. You've never seen anything or anyone to compare to him. Jesus shocked John, who knew him, into a near-death event by falling at his feet as dead in Revelation chapter 1. Anybody that would fall at their feet as dead in front of this? Are you kidding me? You must have problems. You have asthma? Why would you fall down in front of that? This is the Lord and King of glory. He is altogether lovely. He's the one that's speaking. That's why it's in the red writing. I, the eye of Revelation 1, the eye of Revelation 2, the eye of Revelation 3, the eye of Revelation 19 is the one speaking. This is God manifest in the flesh, the great mystery of God. Jesus, this is Jesus promising to spew the lukewarm. He is the one that stands. He is the one that is waiting. This is the Lord Jesus. I, the one that had all those threats, the one that had the rebukes, the one that promised the chastening, that caricature that I showed you, he couldn't rebuke, he couldn't chasten, he couldn't hurt a flea. But the one that's at your heart's door, 
is the God of glory. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Prince of the kings of the earth. What's your favorite name for him? He stands. Jesus is usually seated. Where is he seated? The right hand of God. He once stood up when Stephen was being stoned. Is that precious? Stephen looked into heaven and saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He's standing today. He's walking among his seven golden candlesticks. Seven being a perfect number representing all of his churches. He's walking in this church. He's standing before you. He's standing before your door. He is not sitting at rest. He's standing to seek an entrance into your life. He came to the unfaithful church at Laodicea. He came halfway. Glory. Incredible. That that being of Revelation chapter 1 would come halfway to meet us, to sup with us. All we have to do is open the door and He will come in. All we have to do is open the door. We don't have to go find Him. We don't have to go climb a sycamore tree. All we have to do is open the door. We don't have to go join a monastery. We don't have to take vows of celibacy. We don't have to take vows of poverty. We don't have to give... All we have to do is open the door. The groom seeking his bride is a wonderful picture of Jesus Christ. He walks among his churches. He's not at a distance. He is standing. He is waiting. You have a window of time. You have a window of time. I gave her a space of time to repent. Jesus would say to the church at Thyatira in this same context, I gave her a space of time to repent. But because she didn't repent, I'll cast her and her children into a bed and destroy them that all the churches may know. You have a space of time. I'm here to beseech you. I'm here to beg you. I'm I'm here to encourage you. I'm here to persuade you. It's win, win, win with the Lord Jesus Christ. You can avoid His spewing. You can avoid His chastening. You can have the greatest fulfillment and pleasure in your life by a closer walk with the Lord Jesus of Nazareth. He could leave. He's standing. He's not sitting. He's not sleeping. He's not handcuffed. He's standing. He will leave if you don't give Him entrance. He could demand entrance, but He doesn't. He stands and He asks. This is a present tense action. It will not last forever. Seek ye the Lord. Isaiah 55 tells us, Seek ye the Lord. While He may be found. These words are some of the most fantastic in all of Scripture. Behold, I stand at the door. He stands immediately in front of some door for entrance. Forget the door and hippie in the garden. Forget it. You say, well, why did you remind me of it? I wanted to remind me, I wanted to remind you what he doesn't look like. Think of your life, the door to your life, the door to your heart. Do you know that we have Husbands and wives, and we have those that are going to get married, wear lockets around their necks. Some guy will give to a girl a locket, and it has a heart locket, and he gets to wear the key. He has a key to her heart. Oh, how precious. That is just so warm and fuzzy. He has a key around his neck. She has a heart locket on her neck, and the key, the the key, the only key, that will fit her heart locket. In the many hours that I have spent before standing here before you today, I think the girls in our church ought to have three keys on a lock on a necklace around their necks with a heart locket. The first key is the key of their father, because the Bible tells fathers, Give me thy heart, daughter. The next key, and it is also out of sterling silver. The father's key is out of silver, and the next one stands for the husband that God's going to give her, that he will give, that she will give her heart to her husband. But then there's a third key, and it's gold. And if you were to encrust it with diamonds, I would pitch in a little. Because it's the key of the Lord Jesus Christ. With a girl saying, above my father and above my husband, My heart. Is the Lord Jesus Christ. May God bless some fathers in this assembly with such daughters. 
May God bless some husbands in this assembly with such wives. Jesus is not in heaven. Not in this verse, he's not in heaven. You know where he's seated. I'm thankful that my Jesus can be in multiple places by his spirit that fills heaven and earth. He's not in Jerusalem. He's not in Mecca. And he's not on the moon. The door is a metaphor for your desire for intimacy with him. For you to have a personal relationship and friendship and fellowship with him. If you read Song of Solomon chapter 5 last night, and I'll tell you Song of Solomon chapter 5, verses 2 through 8 are fantastic about her beloved, the Lord Jesus Christ, coming home and touching the doorknob. She's in bed all prepared for him, and he tells that he's all prepared for her. He turns the door a little bit. She hears it. Her bowels are moved for him. Her stomach turns upside down. They're about to make love. She's so excited. She's quivering with excitement, with anticipation, with fear, with joy. All at once, the feelings of love. He's at the door. He's told her that he's all ready. He moves the doorknob. She hears it. She hears his voice. She gets up. She's in the appropriate clothing for such a night of lovemaking. She opens the door, and her beloved has left. She's sick. And she goes and chases him down. I want to know if there's any in here that are going to go chase down the Lord Jesus Christ. You ask me, sometimes it's because of your sins that you lose that fellowship with Him, no doubt. Sometimes it's because of you allowing inputs in your life that cause you to lose that relationship with Him. But He will also withdraw Himself on the authority of Song of Solomon chapter 5, verses 2-8 through to see if you will go out in the streets and be abused by this world for seeking something they don't know about and something they don't care about, and you'll run Him down. And when people ask you, why are you so distraught? Why are you so disappointed? Why are you so frustrated with your life right now? They're asking, what is your beloved more than our beloved? And then you get to tell them verses 9 through 16 of the same chapter of the Word of God. My beloved is altogether lovely. He's the fairest of 10,000. You little girls don't have a clue. Stand back. I am sick of love. I love the Bible. What kind of language? That's in Song of Solomon chapter 5. He's at the door. He's turning the knob. What are you going to do with him today? It's not a literal door. It's a metaphor for a two-way relationship. Could he knock the door down? Could he open the door himself? Then it wouldn't be a two-way relationship. He wants us loving him. He'll come in and love us. He's standing at the door showing that he loves us. This intimate and personal relationship must be two-way. People crave. You know, I've heard about people that are distraught, people that commit suicide, people that contemplate suicide. I just want someone to love me. I just want someone to want me. I just want someone to pursue me. How about the high king of heaven? How about the fairest of 10,000? How about the great shepherd of the sheep? How about the greatest lover in the history of the world? How about the Son of God? How about the Creator of the universe? How about the Prince of the Kings of the earth? He loves us. He wants us. He pursues us. He has come all the way to the door, all the way from heaven to the door. Will you open? This is Christ Jesus. But even first century saints shrugged. See, I look out at your faces. I know that some of you are going to go home. And this doesn't mean anything to you. Because you're in love with yourself. You're in love with your little worthless life. And I was just very kind because I used words that don't accurately describe it. It's less than worthless in comparison to this. You're going to go home and no changes will be made. You won't seek Him any harder. You won't get rid of the things in your life that keep you from Him and that keep Him from you. They did it at Laodicea. They were rich. They were increased with goods. 
They had need of nothing. They went on home. You're going to make a decision today that you'll answer for when you meet the Lord Jesus Christ. In one second, you'll fall at His feet as dead. The heavens and the earth will flee away and the books will be opened. And He will not care about a single word that comes out of your mouth. The time for the words to come out of your mouth and out of your heart are right now. Not then. They're right now. He's at the door. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. What is knocking? It's the means for voluntary admittance. It's what we do when we want someone else to voluntarily let us in. He could knock the door down. He wants you to want Him. He's already loved us. He's never going to change in His love for us. But the more we love Him, the more He'll love us. And He'll reveal His love to us. Just keep on following the metaphor of the door when you look at the word knock. It's a metaphor. Jesus is not quietly standing. He is asking for entrance by His knock and His voice. How does He knock? He knocks by preaching His Word. He knocks by His Word when you read it. The, re- the passages I gave you last night were carefully selected. I had many I could have given you by His Holy Spirit, which you want to pray for. He knocks, and He's knocking today. He's knocking today. Do you see it? Do you hear it? Do you believe it? That this verse tells you that He is standing, He is speaking, and He is knocking. But it's based on an if. The word if. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If. That means it's a conditional offer. This is not eternal life. That was an election before the world began. This is in a personal relationship with the lover of your soul. This is a personal relationship with the man, the perfect man, the loveliest man, the most glorious man, and you. You must open the door. He will not come in for this relationship on his own. You must open the door. Jesus can open hearts without permission. He opened the hearts of Lydia, but that was for a different thing. That was for conversion into the gospel. You will either fulfill the condition today, or you will not. I don't care what you think about me. Never have. Never will. But I do hope that you care about the one I represent. You will face him. He will have the last laugh about your little life. There isn't a word you can say in that day that will mean anything to him. It's what words you're going to say right now in your hearts about him. If you do not, if you do not fulfill the condition today of this if, remember that I have warned you of his spewing and his chastening if you're one of his children. If you do fulfill this today and ask the Lord Jesus to come into your heart, as we sing in one of our songs that we sang earlier today, in his arms there are 10,000 charms. Any man. The full rebuke was to the pastor, the whole passage, but the offer here is to any any man. Isn't that wonderful? It doesn't matter what sex you are. It doesn't matter what age you are. It doesn't matter how intelligent you are. Any man. It does not matter. It's an individual matter for each believer. It's not a church matter. It was about the church. It was to the church. It was to the church of the Laodiceans. But when it gets down to this particular thing, it is personal between Jesus Christ and each of you. Do you, that is you, do you hear Him today? Any man without Him is a wasted life. Beg. We'll sing this soon. Beg. While on others, thou art calling. Do not pass me by. He's calling by Revelation 3.20 and His least of all servants and by His Spirit and His Word to you today, He's calling. Do not pass me by, O Lord. There's more than knocking. He is also calling out to you. His voice. He says, if any man hear my voice, this is still the conditional if introducing the clause. Jesus can raise the dead spiritually. Regeneration. Jesus can raise the dead physically. Resurrection. By His voice. 
His voice is calling. The voice of the Son of God is calling through His Word by His servant and His Spirit. But this voice here is calling His sheep to fellowship. Do you hear the call to fellowship? His voice is in the Gospel. His voice is in His Word. His voice is in today's preaching. He's talking to you. He raised up a poor servant of His to say the words to you. He had William Tyndale, a poor servant of His, call for the King of England to give a Bible version. You have it in your hands. Revelation 3.20 is in it. He's calling. Will you open the door? This is your action. No one else can do it for you. I can't do it for you. Or I would do it for all of you. Open to Him. He already died for you and opened your heart to the Gospel. What is it to open the door? Ask Him to come into you for that fellowship. Invite Him in. Tell Him, I want to sup with you. I want you to sup with me. I want to go home and have a meal with you. I want the intimate friendship and the intimate fellowship like you had with Zacchaeus the day you called Him out of the sycamore tree. Beg Him to come into you. Say, Lord Jesus, come in now. I'm sorry for being so distracted. I'm sorry for being so selfish. I'm sorry for being so self-righteous. Forgive me my sins. Forgive me my diversions. Come in. You're the most important one to me. I need you. I want you. Lord Jesus, come in. Is there a prayer like that in the Bible in the name of the Lord Jesus? Rather than addressing God our Father? Jesus taught His disciples to pray, Our Father which art in heaven. But Stephen in Acts chapter 7 and verse 59 said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Peter, when sinking into the Sea of Galilee, said, Lord, save me. That's all it takes. You're asking Him to come in for a deeper, fuller, more personal, intimate relationship. It is drawing nigh to God with very serious efforts. And those very serious efforts will be preached. But not today. I am just telling you that it is a serious effort. Your heart needs to be in it and your life in it. And you need to throw away some things that are distracting you. The Laodiceans needed a new heart to cry to the Lord. And there's a new heart that you can give yourself by humbling yourself in repentance and confession of your sins. You must do something. You must do it about your relationship with Christ. I'm not talking about your name in the book of life. I'm not talking about your legal justification. I'm not talking about your vital regeneration. I'm talking about fellowship. I'm talking about the highest level of practical salvation. I'm talking about the highest level of conversion. And that is to walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Preaching is not just head knowledge. It's advice to action. I don't want you just to know something. I'm pressing you to do something today. And notice what he says. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him. Unbelievable! I will come into him. The glorious Son of God will respond to your seeking him. This is a promise as much as any other. Believe it fully. This is key. Believe the promise fully. There are those of you that have trouble believing you're forgiven of your sins by merely confessing them, and it is because you do not believe the Word of God like you should. 1 John 1.9 says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That settles it. Though you think your confession is not worth much, though you think your confession does not carry much value with it, It is sufficient because He is faithful and just to forgive you on the grounds of someone who paid the valuable price. On the grounds of the valuable person. And it's the Lord Jesus Christ. All you have to do is confess. In this particular case, all you have to do is open the door. I will come in to Him. This is true on the authority of Scripture. And it is true because I've tested it. Notice the one coming in. And the one opening the door. It's an I. And it's a him. And they're singular pronouns. And I love that. This is more sure than gravity. This is more precious than anything. This is a promise from the Amen. That you can fully trust. No wonder he started with the words, I am the Amen. The faithful and true witness of God. Because his rebuke was true and appropriate. And his promise, his offer here, 
is fully true and appropriate, and you can trust it. Jesus dwells in hearts and whispers love. Galatians 4, 6. Jesus dwells in us by His Spirit, testifying and witnessing to us that we are the sons of God. He sheds abroad in our hearts the love of God. This leads to being filled with the fullness of God. There will be more coming. This leads to being filled with all the fullness of God because Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, is inside you, meaning in a personal, intimate friendship with you. You talk with Him. You walk with Him. He talks with you. He walks with you. You enjoy each other. You see His beauty. You love His beauty. He tells you how much God loves you. He tells you that you're the Son of God. He makes everything in the Word of God come alive. It's the fullness of God. And it starts with knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. I've read these verses to you several times in recent weeks, though I had to preach Romans 13. That God the Father and Jesus the Son will live in you. They will abode it. They will make their abode in you. They will dwell in you and they will love you for the love you show him. This is not the everlasting eternal love of God for his saints, which can never vary. This is the personal love of a relationship and fellowship and friendship with him, which can most definitely vary. Did Abraham and Asaph know about this? Did God say to Abraham, I am your exceeding great reward did asaph say whom have i in heaven and there is whom have i on earth and there is none that i desire in heaven beside thee this is personal this is intimate it is one on one it is him and you if our religion is pews a little cup of wine a little piece of unleavened bread a few songs the right hand of fellowship, water baptism. We are wretched, miserable, poor, naked, and blind. This gives life to all of it. Sup with him. What does sup mean? It means to eat supper. It does not mean sip, but it means to eat and drink a meal. This is going out to dinner with the high king of heaven. Except it's not really going out, is it? It's him coming to your house. This is Abraham with Melchizedek. But oh, much, much better. This has nothing to do with the Lord's Supper communion. I hope no one in here, I hope that no one in here has been confused to think that this verse has anything about the Lord's Supper. There is nothing about the Lord's Supper in this verse. The Lord's Supper is an outward, symbolic act of the of the whole corporate church together in one place remembering the Lord's death till he come this is a personal relationship in your heart with the Lord Jesus Christ to sup with anyone is to share a meal for intimate fellowship Jesus supping with us is not just locational he hasn't just come to us it's relational it's not just symbolic it's not just doctrinal it's not just positional it's relational There's a personal aspect to it, and it's mostly personal. It's all personal of Him relating to us. It's not Jesus preaching. Oh, though that would be so great. He made the hearts of those burn on the road to Emmaus. But it's eating. Do you mean the high king of heaven can get down off his white horse and just sit with me? and eat some good bread and drink some good wine? Absolutely. The Son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ, He did it with Zacchaeus. He did it with His apostles. He broke bread with the two on the way to Emmaus and then left their sight. Your life is nothing. Your life is nothing without this relationship. It is absolutely nothing in the eyes of men. It is absolutely nothing in the eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ without this relationship. This is the most important thing I can teach you. I try to teach you the whole counsel of God. This is the counsel. I counsel thee. I counsel thee, Jesus said. You ask me, why have I not had this yet? Because it's conditional. What have you done to open the door? You say, I tithe 10%. You mean you're rich? and increased with goods and have need of nothing? 
I come to church every Sunday. Nothing. The members of Laodicea came to church every Sunday, and they gave more than 10%. What are you going to do with them, them apples? And he with me. And he with me? Sup is to eat supper. It is you eating with Jesus. You eating with Jesus means fully accepted and loved by Him. Notice, it's just not Him thinking about Himself. I will sup with Him. And He with me. And He with me. I just don't want to sit down and bless the bread and have a supper for myself. He with me. Unbelievable. It's a two-way relationship. Two in love with each other. The Lord Jesus Christ and His people, one at a time. Remember, He's not ashamed to call us brethren. That captain of salvation on his white horse is not ashamed of any one of us. When we confess our sins and come to Him and open the door, rather than visiting our tent, you know, He takes us into His pavilion, if you read the whole Scriptures, and look at another metaphor that is very precious to me as well. What is this supping like? Very quickly, my brethren, and this will be on the internet within a few hours for you to review. It is walking. It is walking with Jesus Christ as a personal, intimate friend. That is what supping is like. It is being so close to him that he overwhelms you with his love. Trust the language. God has chosen to relate to us and to communicate to us with language. I am telling you, on the authority of Scripture and the authority of experience, He can overwhelm you with His love. He can blow away every single distraction, every single item of affection, every single thing of fear with overwhelming love. What does it mean for Him to sup with us? It's a palpable. That means you can feel it. You can know it. Increase in faith in all the graces of the Spirit. Power from the inside to do everything that you know is right, but no longer do you even need to think about it because you're highly motivated toward it from the inside out. It is an increase in love for Him to delight in all the details about Him. It is abundant life. It's life overwhelming. It's life overflowing. It's life that you haven't had before. I'm 56 years old. I am 56 and a half. Go ahead and figure out how many days that is that I've lived. Tuesday, September 10th was the best day of my life. Only one person knows. She got to see the hangover on Wednesday morning, September 11th. You say, well, what about right now, Pastor? Oh, it's good. It's good. But you know, He gives us He gives us highs and extra affection and extra special attention at times when we most desperately need it in order to get our attention of how good it can be. I'm just as content as can be right now, except I want more. And I want you to have more. It is the abundant life, John 10.10. 10. It is joy unspeakable, 1 Peter chapter 1. It is dancing on high, Habakkuk chapter 3. This is dancing on your high places while everything falls apart around you. What is this supping like? Church assemblies become more important than they are presently. Every time one of you don't make it to church for some little light, frivolous, ridiculous reason, I know you don't love the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, if, you've got, if you had a leg cut off by a chainsaw or something, I understand. If you have a doctor's order that you're bedridden, I understand. If you go on a vacation that's been planned, I understand. But just remember, the Lord Jesus Christ sees right through you and every motive and intent of your heart as to how important He is to you. Spiritual exercises like reading and prayer become delights instead of duties. Meditation, thinking upon Him, praising Him, singing about Him, become more spontaneous. We sang that as we left this morning before break. All the things of earth will grow strangely dim. All of a sudden, nothing else matters. You'll be lost in mutual love rising far above your circumstances. What's it like? The happiest people are those supping with Jesus Christ. No question. 
about it. With Christ supping with you, a prison can prove to be a palace, as we sing in another song. Supping with Christ is called marrow and fatness and described that way in Psalm 63. No person or problem can touch you with Christ in your heart. This awareness, this feeling, this knowledge rises above your five senses. It is spiritual. It is the Spirit of God inside you. It is the infinite God who is a spirit. God is a spirit, and that spirit can inhabit men so that our body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. These are a few descriptive phrases of what it's like to sup with Him. Now, how do I open the door? Get zealous. Zealous. On fire intense about it. Get zealous. Repent. And get zealous some more. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Get zealous, therefore, and repent. Humbly and fully confess all known sins. The Lord is nigh, and the Lord will draw nigh to a man that's of a broken heart. Remember from where you've fallen, from the better times in your life when you loved Him more. Repent that you're not there now, and do the first works of love. When it comes to the Lord, it's reading His Word, it's praying, it's singing, it's thinking upon Him, it's delighting in Him. It's not reading Romans chapter 13, 1-7. It's reading Song of Solomon 5, 2-16. It's reading Revelation 3.20. It's reading Revelation 1. It's reading Psalm 45. No one's preached Romans 13 more intensely than I did the last few weeks. But it's not in Romans 13. It's in the book of Hebrews. It's in the book of Psalms. It's where the Lord is lifted up. Pray for it. With great faith and great fervency. The faith is that Revelation 3.20 is true. The fervency is that He wants you to be zealous about it. If you pray for it, consider fasting. This kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. When was the last time you fasted for Revelation 3.20 to be fulfilled in your life? It is going after it God's way with great zeal. Jesus taught His disciples to love and to obey for it. If you love and keep My commandments, My Father will love you, and we will come and dwell with you. I have given you those verses, and I have given you them again today. We love brethren for love and because they're His. If you want Jesus Christ to dwell in you, then you should read 1 John 3, 4, and 5. To love the brethren because God is love, and to love the brethren because they are His. I'm telling you the steps to open the door. You know, once you love Him, you love His brethren anyway. It's all pretty easy. Carnal living and sins will grieve and quench Him because He dwells in you by His Spirit. Jesus Christ is locational. Jesus Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. But how can He be standing before each one of us knocking at our door? By His Spirit. But we can quench and grieve His Spirit. We believe this verse, and we claim it as our own from the Amen. We believe that He introduced this letter to the church at Laodicea by calling Himself the Amen and the faithful and true witness because He wants us to believe the verse and claim it as our own, and so you do it. How do I open the door? The Lord may resist a little while to prove you. This is the Syrophoenician woman. She came to have her daughter healed. This is Song of Solomon 5, verses 6-8, through 8, where her beloved had left. Again, let me say it again. You must pray for it, and you must ask Him to come in, as I've already demonstrated. Address the Lord Jesus Christ directly, like Stephen did. Invite Him in. Invite Him personally in. I want you to be the most important person in my life. I want that relationship with you. Tell him. That's how we open the door. Anything is possible to those that believe. Do you believe? Revelation 3.20. It's better than possible. It's a certainty. It's guaranteed. The Word of God says so. The Bible says it will work. I tell you it works. Why do we lose it? Jesus sups with us by His Spirit who's grieved by our sins. I've already mentioned that. Grieved and quenched. The fire, the passion, the love is quenched by our sins. Jesus is God. If you have friends that are in this world, He counts you as enemy. You'll never have this relationship with Him. He doesn't care what you think about your friends. He doesn't care how you measure them. He doesn't care what kind of warm and fuzzy feelings they give you. He doesn't care about any of that. He is the only friend we should ever have. 
everyone else is so second to him, they can't be compared to him, they can't be called friends. When we're talking about this subject, Jesus sups with us by his spirit. He may withdraw due to your, you're too busy. You're too busy to, to take time praying to him, reading his word, praying. You have a lack of interest. You're all worked up to go make your $13 an hour. Say, I'll make 20. <laughs> That's less than 13. Say, no, it isn't. 20 is bigger than 13. 20 is 40,000 a year. 13 is only 26,000 a year. It's all less than nothing. You're a joke. You're the laughing stock of heaven, and Jesus will spew you out of his mouth. You are wretched, miserable, naked, poor, and blind. None of that stuff matters. None of that stuff matters. He may withdraw to see if you'll seek him in the streets. What are you going to do today? He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith. The Spirit has just spoken by his word through his servant and is speaking to your hearts. If he's not speaking to your hearts, I have nothing for you anyway. Because you're not one of his. We seek a relationship with Jesus. Not a religion and not a ritual. We're about to have a ritual. We're about to have a symbolic ordinance of the New Testament. That is not this. This is far superior to that. Many have had the Lord's Supper. Few have had the Lord come in for a personal relationship like I'm describing to you. If you make no changes, you despise a king's advances. There's no description of hell that I can give you that is worthy of you for despising a king's advances, personal advances towards you. Run to the Lord Jesus Christ by faith and do not let go until he comes in and sups. Would Jacob know how to do it? I will not leave until you bless me. The Lord's Supper before us is a corporate congregational ordinance. It's our mutual love of him. It's our symbolic remembering of his death for us on the cross of Calvary. That supping, and it is called supping in the Bible, of this little cup of wine, this little piece of bread, is not what I'm talking about. This Lord's Supper is important, but it's not the relationship. This is a ritual. We do it by faith. We see Christ in what we do. We love Christ in the doing of it. But it's not this. This is daily walking and talking with the Lord Jesus Christ. This relationship with Jesus Christ is what gives real life and meaning to that one. This relationship with Jesus Christ is what gives real life and meaning to singing and everything else we do. I counsel thee in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to behold these things. Amen.